1: Are you effing kidding me? Earlier this week, I
0: had the awesome privilege of being invited to attend the Broadway for Biden fundraiser. And it was absolutely incredible. One amazingly talented performance followed by another and another, each unique and special and moving in their own way. I felt like I kept getting to open a new day in an advent calendar full of the best chocolate on earth each one wildly different from the last, yet just as good. And while I was completely blown away by the parade of talent on display, there is this one thing which I just can't stop thinking about, something that hit me that night, something I've heard Biden say before many times, but never in person and never after watching an absolute tsunami of theatrical talent share their passion for re-electing our president because they understand what's at stake if we don't. That their very existences could be at stake if we don't. He described what it was that made him decide to run. It was a moment. The moment when then President Donald Trump was asked about the Nazis marching in Charlottesville. When asked about peaceful protester, Heather Heyer being mowed down and murdered, he said, there were very fine people on both sides. And when President Biden heard that, he said, I could no longer sit on the sidelines because the president of the United States had just drawn a moral equivalency between those who stood for hate and those who stood against it. He went on to say, You see, I believe silence is complicity, and I would not be silent any more than you were. So I ran. And those words hit me like a Mack truck. To hear him say that. In that beautiful theater full of human beings who just want to live their lives authentically. To live without hate. To truly be judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. To be able to love who they want and dress how they want without hurting anyone and to have the same rights as everyone else. People who want to worship their faith openly and without fear of violence. What I realized was this was a good man. Joe Biden is a good man, driven by doing good. Such a glaringly obvious distinction between himself and Trump. A seemingly simple idea that a president should be guided by what is right and not by hate. Standing before me that night was a man who wants to work to make this world one where marching with tiki torches and rifles through city streets while spewing vile anti Semitic slurs is undeniably bad. Where driving your car through peacefully assembled protesters is irrefutably wrong and not remotely comparable to those who showed up to protest against unabashed prejudice. A man who doesn't see two sides to what happened that day. Joe Biden is a man who understands exactly what kind of threat. To this country, someone like Trump poses. Former Deputy Assistant Director of the FBI's Counterintelligence Division, Peter Strzok, is also someone who understands the threat posed by Donald Trump. He knows all too well. Peter, who co hosts the Cleanup on Isle 45 podcast with Allison Gill, joins me today to discuss Trump, but also how MAGA has become much more than just their melon hued messiah. Many of them are radicalized now, as we saw on January 6th. And the threats of continued violence are real. Very real. This is an outrage. And like Heather Heyer said before she was tragically murdered in Charlottesville that day, we
1: have to pay attention.
0: Welcome to the Are You F***ing Kidding Me podcast, Peter Strzok.
1: Hey, Joe, how are you? Great to great to join you here today.
0: Hey, thank you for being here. And I'm so excited to call you Pete because people who call me Joanne, I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? But <laughs> I've only ever seen you except like, in, you know, TV interviews now or they call you Pete. But like it was always Peter. Everything was always
1: Peter Strong. Yeah, there are most people do go with Pete. I mean, my parents call me Peter, and, but that's also because my father is Peter, so he tended to be Pete, and I was Peter. But for the most part, yeah, everybody calls me Pete. So
0: okay, cool. Yeah. That that makes it easy for me, and it's weird again because when people call me Joanne, because that's one of those names where I'm like, that just never suited me. It's Like it sounds like that old lady in the back of like an aerobics class who's like, I don't have to do all <laughs> the exercises. I just don't feel like I've ever been a Joanne. So I, my ex husband, and my former boss, and one of my my sisters call me Joanne. Otherwise I'm in trouble. So we're going to go with Pete. <laughs> um And I'm Joe. So let's, let's jump right into it because I'm watching the shit show of a dumpster fire unfolding in the house of representatives right now. And it's just, it's, it's pure chaos. But honestly, the thing that I, that I can't shake is that it, it feels like with a lot of members in that conference right now, that they're trying to accomplish from the inside what they tried to accomplish and failed to accomplish from the outside on January 6th. It's, it sort of feels like that to me. It's sort of this the same attack on our democracy.
1: Yeah, I don't know how far they're going to get in terms of, you know, the most damaging things they could do in terms of defunding the Department of Justice, trying to defund Jack Smith, trying to, you know, they haven't blocked clearly we finally got some movement around tommy tuberville on the senate side and getting some of the folks in the senior leaders of dod confirmed last night so uh, to what extent the republicans could actually achieve anything other than sort of talking points they could shut down the government for sure and i think you know what that You know, ironically enough, what that tends to hurt are the the lower level government employees who live paycheck to paycheck, which the average House Republican could give a damn about. Uh, So, you know, they might not have any incentive. It's clearly embarrassing to Kevin McCarthy. I I don't know how he and if he escapes the end of this still as the Speaker of the House. But I hope one would hope I hope that the average American is listening and watching this, and it is pushing them away from the craziness. But all the polling that seems to be coming out around Trump, I I don't know that people are listening. Uh, And I'm torn between thinking, how can it possibly be that Trump and all his enablers in Congress continue to enjoy the support that they're enjoying? But I, I, I hold on, perhaps stupidly, to just the abysmal failure of all the MAGA, not all, but most of the MAGA candidates in the midterm election, and how Trump's endorsement was the kiss of death for so many. And you know, is that going to be a repeat in 2024? I sure hope so. I certainly hope this wildly irresponsible, childish, just grind to a halt irresponsibility on the part of you know certainly the far far right resonates with the American public. I hope the Democrats are smart enough to take advantage of that and to highlight the dysfunction, because this is clearly a Republican issue. The Republicans are already saying it's going to be blamed on us. And yeah, because you're the ones that are doing it, but we'll see. And part of the problems, and I'm sure you talked about this with other guests. I think the media is continuing to fail the American public like they did in 2016 when it comes to Trump and in continuing to try and all the reporting still trying to both sides things and say, well, you know, this is there's a lot of conflict between, you know, in the House. It's like, well, there's conflict, but it's within the Republican Party. The Democrats aren't doing anything to cause mm-hmm. this. And, and this continual need, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out, but I'm, I'm willing to bet we get at least a little bit of a government shutdown.
0: Yeah, so that there's two questions that you you kind of brought to my mind that I was going to ask you a little bit later about this idea with the media kind of repeating the same mistakes they made in 2015 and 2016. So I've heard you say that before, and it really resonated with me. But I sort of want to sit with for a second what it is that some of the very far right uh, members of the uh, the toddler caucus, that whatever you want to call them, the crazy caucus, one of the conditions that they're that they're putting forth for for shutting down the government essentially is that they want the. Information investigations and all of everything jack smith like you said they want it shut down so they're really running interference for you know donald trump who they just want him absolved of his crimes i mean it's ridiculous on its face but it's also i mean it's terrifying that that's really what they're trying to do in weaponizing our government so to speak right just to borrow their phrase and that's what they're so many of them are doing now
1: yeah, and I'm curious to see you know how far they actually get this threatened impeachment of Biden, which there clearly is nothing there, and they'll go out and admit it. But again, to to the media's point, I know we're jumping ahead to the second point, but you know I was watching Nancy Mace on CNN talking about so a CNN is giving her a platform along with all these other people to talk about how like well no, you know we acknowledge we don't have any information, but that's why we have an inquiry to get information, which is bullshit. I mean that, that's not the way it works. It's never been the way it works. But nevertheless, you still got time coming up, um, you know giving them time to do it. So I think it is. there's a combination of trying to distract from all the things that are going on with Trump. I think there's certainly also an effort to, if you look at legitimate impeachments of Trump, by trying to create this parallel BS illegitimate process for people not like you and me and your listeners who sort of probably follow this on a much more routine basis, if you tune in only occasionally in the national news, It does have the effect of saying of like diluting what an impeachment is and what it should be. And it just for an average person who maybe doesn't follow along that closely, it suddenly becomes something like, well, impeachments are just a political thing. They don't really matter. Every side does it to each other. And by creating a BS narrative around Biden, it lessens the potential the appearance of and the fact of the severity of Trump's behavior and what his impeachments were about. So, I, you know, it's a very cynical, for a number of reasons, play to simply, you know, it, it, it degrades the entire sort of well-functioning process of our government, the way that people interact and view it. And I just, we're, we've moved away from not only what, certainly what we were all taught in civics, you know, when we we're in high school or, you know, following courses in, in college, but it, it, it just, the whole process is nothing what I think we've ever seen in our lifetimes. And I'm sure others, you know, 40 years ago, 100 years ago, people said the same thing, but I don't think we've seen anything like this in our nation's history.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think so either. And I know that it can sound like hyperbolic to say that, you know, this is this is one of the most challenging times for our democracy that we've ever faced. But I honestly do feel like that. And I mean, I'm not that old, but I'm 40, 49. Um, and so in my lifetime and I grew up surrounded by government, my dad was he worked for the Department of Defense. Like We we, we had these conversations a lot, you know, and uh, this is it is feels like it's certainly jumped the shark. But I mean, back to your point about the media. And their role in all of this. So it's obvious that you know MAGA wants to do the distractions and all the circus stuff and the Benghazi Palooza 24-7, all their different committee hearings that are just performative, et cetera, et cetera. But the media is doing what they did, like you said, in 2015 and 16, and they're feeding into it. Like well, I was so mad yesterday because I, I have one of those Alexa devices that has a video screen. And one of the things that popped up as a headline was, uh, are impeachments the new normal? And I was like, that is the dumbest headline I've ever heard. And then I was so I clicked on it, and then I was like, wait a minute, this is MSNBC. And then I went to search, and it was just headline after headline after headline from reputable news organizations who were quoting you know, scholars and constitutional experts and saying, Framing it as if what, again, what's happening now, which is so crazy and so baseless as such abuse of our democracy and this very grave thing we have in this mechanism of impeachment, they're using it as a tit for tat. And what's happening is the media is framing it as a, well, you know, there were impeachments on both sides. And I just saw Biden speak in New York City the other night, and it was incredibly moving and powerful because he was talking about the impetus for him running was really when he heard Donald Trump both sides, you know, Charlottesville and making that you know, that moral equivalency between right and wrong and making the moral equivalency between the the Nazis and the protesters protesting the Nazis. And it's sort of like what the media is doing and framing all of this now. It's like, well, you know, Biden had documents and uh, well, Biden's son got indicted. And it's like Biden's son's not running for any office. He was never elected. They're doing the same thing to this impeachment inquiry sham. And it's like you said, it just, dilutes what happened to Donald Trump, what he, you know, what he deserved, which was extorting Ukraine and then inciting an insurrection. But the media is making my friends in the suburbs go, well, you know, it's all the same because they're not in the weeds on this. Who can be like, really, if it's not what you do, you can't pay close enough attention. And it's really dangerous, as you know, firsthand
1: yeah absolutely and i don't know what the solution is right because on the one hand you might say well you know trump is a, a, all politicians exaggerate right they take a little credit more than maybe they deserve right. they ex, you know expound a little bit too far on what they've accomplished or what they believe but trump just flat out outright lies and i was say, you know this MSN, or nbc interview he gave he, and he's talking about the issue of abortion and trying to present himself as, you know, somebody who provides an appeal to both sides of the aisle. It's like, no, he absolutely does not. He has taken credit for Dobbs. He has taken credit for rolling back Roe v. Wade. There's absolutely he's taken credit repeatedly over multiple Supreme Court additions that have served to roll back reproductive rights. There is no appeal to both sides when it comes to Donald Trump on the issue of abortion. But yet he can sit down mm-hmm. on NBC. Mm-hmm. And and throw that out there with very little challenge. You know, and after the fact, they say, well, we put up a website that, you know, fact checks all of the statements. Nobody reads that. No. Are you fucking kidding me? Nobody's going to go and sit there after listening to that on Sunday morning or whenever they broadcast it, log on to NBC, <laughs> go find and scroll right. through and start reading where they, they utterly rebut. False statement after false statement. And it's not little things, right? I mean, this isn't an Al Gore. I invented the Internet where he actually had some role at the beginning of the funding for it, where it's like, "Eh, these are just outright. The sky is fucking purple and the grass (laughs) is pink. It, It just they're 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 utter lies. And so I don't know, you know, is the solution. Because I don't think you'll ever get the media to sit there simply and say Donald Trump is a recurrent liar. He says things that are provably false, and he does it repeatedly. They, they aren't, and particularly, you know, anybody who is trying to seek the middle, whatever that is. CNN mm-hmm. trying to gain, you know, that thirty percent of the listenership that they think they can siphon off from Fox or the the NBC and ABC and CBS. I, I, I don't know what the right answer is because I think there there is a, and I think they know. I think in general, most journalists tend to be, compared to the general American population, have a higher level education. I think most journalists compared to the average American population tend to be more liberal in their perspective. And I think that gives a great deal of sort of uh, self-awareness and concern that they bend over too far to appear objective. And to your point, I don't think people realize how close we are to really awful, horrible, undemocratic things happening. And I think you know we all put on our rose-colored glasses, and everybody forgets the first Trump administration and says, well, you know we look back now, now it survived, and you know look at the court systems, they saved us, and Jack Smith is still going, and look at all these people who were prosecuted for January 6, and see it all worked. And I don't, I I think that ignores the fact that if you go back in time to December and January of 2020 and 2021, I mean democracy was like dead on the, i this analogy before, dead on the operating room table in the ER, doesn't have a pulse, not no respiration. And by the grace of God, we're able to get people in there to like restore the heartbeat, get the get democracy breathing again. But it's not like, no, oh, yeah, you know, we got bumped and bruised a little bit, but we're fine. It was like, no, we're on the edge of chaos and, and absolute You know, it's sent into authoritarianism and people telling Trump, you know, Mike Flynn and Sidney Powell and Patrick Byrne saying, you know, bring in the military and seize Mm -hmm. all the voting machines and (laughs) Jeffrey fucking Clark saying when he's told, oh, hey, you know, we might have rioting on the streets in every major city in America saying, well, well, that's why we have the Insurrection Act. You know, that stumpy little fucking, you know, underpants wearing driveway stand and potential when, attorney general yeah. saying in response, and it's just like in an off-handed manner, right?
0: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash podcasts. That's Amazon.com slash podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms
0: like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere
1: you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. New York and Chicago and L.A. and Atlanta and Boston and everywhere else. And this guy who would be attorney general saying, yeah well, that's why we got the military. Shoot them all up. And, that, and that's where we were. Yeah. I mean, it- that's right where we'll be if Trump is reelected that whole first team, all the, you know, adults who I, many of them, I don't think much of to begin with, but you know, all the people from Rex Tillerson to John Kelly, to Kirsten Nielsen, to the people who like functioned as adults to check his bad behavior. They're not nobody like that's coming back. And so you're going to get people like Mike Flynn and Jeff Clark and cash Patel and Rudy and all these, that's going to be your first team. That's what you're starting with. And God, God help us.
0: Stephen Miller, Steve Bannon. Right. Yeah, I mean I was talking to Miles Taylor. I told you that before we started the recording and and one of the reasons I think I talked to him so long was because, you know, one of the things we talked about was that there were a few a few sort of gatekeepers ish, you know, especially in the beginning. And that uh, unbelievably, even though what we saw was insane, that some of his worst impulses were actually checked, that that they were able to somehow convince him not to bust migrants like um, obviously Abbott and DeSantis have done to sort of just be like, oh, well, we don't care about that. But they were able to somehow talk him off of some ledges, at least. Um, and l- like you said, those people are gone. More than that, he's he, a second term would embolden him even more that like, He wouldn't give a shit. He would literally do anything, everything he ever even thought about. He would do, and then there's all the things he never thought about. That would be completely unchecked, and it would look so much worse than we could probably even fathom. It's it's really, I mean, he. I believe we would be looking at the end of you know democracy, democratic voting. He would just installing other Trump spawn in his place when he if he ever expires like come on please like was he keith richards yeah, i, I but- don't
1: i mean it truly must be a deal with the devil because not <laughs> anybody has like you know a, a hamburger every day from from mcdonald's with a bucket of kfc and you know morbidly obese well uh, i'm sorry six foot three 250 no i don't i don't know and then, and then again you know just a side note how the, the going back to the media the media's infatuation with joe biden and is he too old and this is a concern for 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 Democratic voters, it's like, I'm sorry, Trump is how many years younger than him? Three, Three, four? Let's let's envision, you know, oh, Joe Biden fell off a bike. Okay, (laughs) let's try to envision Donald Trump on a bike. Just (laughs) just take a moment. Try to envision him on a fucking tricycle, let alone a bicycle. But we're going to worry about Joe Biden, and Joe Biden's issue is his health and his age. Donald Trump somehow gets passed. pass. Mm. Is that? But but setting that aside, I, I think you're right. I mean, two things that I think would be different the next administration is next Trump administration. The first time around, they didn't... I don't think they expected to win, first of all. No, yeah, uh, I
0: heard I think that too. think they were
1: all surprised. I think yeah. they understood that they lost many, many months at the beginning, getting people in place, getting loyalists in place, in part because they weren't expecting to be there, in part because they weren't prepared. And I think what you're seeing now... And again, nothing, none of this is hidden. They're, they're telegraphing all of it, but you have these think tanks essentially out there identifying loyalists that they're going to install and, and identifying people who are you know presumably disloyalists, people who are actually committed up only to the Constitution that they're going to remove. So that's one thing. And they're already planning, right? They have lists of people that they want to put in. Presumably they have lists of people that they want to get rid of. And then the second thing, which is as terrifying, if not more terrifying, I don't think until the very end of the presidency, Trump really fully came to understand the importance of having loyalists in charge of people with the guns, Mm. right? He didn't Mm -hmm. understand that he needed somebody, not just at DOJ, but at the FBI, that he needed somebody at DOD, that he needed people that when it came to like, you know, the fancy political term, the, the coercive power of the state, the people who have the arms, the people who can put down rioters and lock you up and put you in jail the need to absolutely control that. And if you look at a lot of authoritarian regimes abroad, so the first thing you do, you get some, you know, there's a coup d'etat, the first thing the person does is is they put their loyalists in charge of the Ministry of Interior, they put them in charge of the, you know, the army, they put them in charge of the security services. That's, if if you're going to have a, and maintain non-democratic power, those are some of the essential things that you've got to do, and I think Trump didn't understand that the first time around. He sure understands it now. And that's why I'm really worried that what, you know, the first thing I'm looking for is if and when there is a re-election beyond, you know, getting over the, you know, trying to sober up, but um, who, who, who he names mm. for those people at the FBI, at DOD, at DHS, at, in the national security apparatus, because that's, that's where you can do truly the most harm.
0: It's interesting because it makes me think of when he was first elected. and I want to get back to that too a little bit um, because I have some other questions related to that. But I have um, a lot of a lot of family that was um, active military, both army, Army, Air Force, my brother was marine, all of it. and um, two members of my family. Voted for Trump because he was better than the butter emails lady, which is a whole other conversation, too. Um, They sort of held their noses and it wasn't their type, but, you know, it was better than the alternative. And what was explained to me by them at the time, because I was clearly very upset, (laughs) knowing me, you cannot imagine. I mean, you don't have to think too hard about how upset I was about his election. And what my family member said to me was, don't worry, don't worry, Joanne, don't worry. The generals will be there. They will check him. They'll check his worst, worst impulses. The, you know, the, the the generals are seasoned and, you know, they they know what they're doing and they'll be able to, to, to help him grow into the office. And, you know, they have that kind of leadership. And obviously, looking back on that now and and his track record of disparaging every, basically every member of the military who ever Served in his administration in any capacity. His and the story is breaking today about some of the other things he said about the military, one of which was recounted by Mark Milley related to um a very, very injured soldier, which I don't know if you saw that, but like that really triggers me. And I never served. But um yeah, it's it's they didn't check his worst impulses. They had he would. They, he basically, as soon as they left because they couldn't do it anymore, he tried to destroy their reputations. I mean, if he, like you said, if those people were even gone, there's no checks on him at all.
1: Yeah. And I don't know how much I am glad on the one hand, the things that, and I think it's coinciding with, uh, you know, Millie talking or having a book maybe coming out. And I saw the thing about, you know, Trump and it was a disabled vet who I think sang or performed at the White House. And, Trump apparently telling him, "Look, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to see wounded people around here. Make sure he never shows up again." I mean, it's just it's consistent with Trump not wanting to go to, you know, the D-Day cemetery when right. it was over, you know, with all the the European Western European leaders, and it's consistent with I think the the New Republic perhaps had or the Atlantic I think had reporting where. Trump essentially said, you know, it's the suckers and the losers who who end up, uh, you know, in the military. And going back to all the stuff, he, you know, talking about John McCain, mm-hmm. you know, he was a loser for being captured, but it's just mm-hmm. horrific stuff. I don't, on the one hand, I'm glad that Millie and presumably other senior officers could and did serve as a check and might serve as a check in the future. But that's also like not that it's not their constitutional job, right? I mean, yes, they've taken an oath to support and defend the constitution, but at the end of the day, the president is the commander in chief and you shouldn't have senior military officials countermanding or working against the interests of the president of the United States because the president of the United States happens to be an irresponsible five-year-old child. That is <laughs> glad it's protecting the United States, but I don't want to be in a system or in a democracy where senior uniformed general officers are reassuring the Speaker of the House, are reassuring allies, are reassuring you know hostile nations that don't worry we've got we've got this under control. We're not going to allow him to start World War III with two weeks left in office. That's not hmm. the way our system is supposed to work. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm glad it did, but that's not. I, I don't. At the end of the day, I don't want senior officers kind of taking on that added role and authority because that should be the president's and you know, up until the 45th president of the United States, it was, and there wasn't really a concern about that. And then I do, you know, at some point, the military does a very good job of sort of educating and emphasizing the civil military split in the chain of command ultimately goes up to the civil side. But I do worry when looking at things like, you know, Trump's pardon of Eddie Gallagher, who was, you know, a Navy um, SEAL who was convicted of a variety of really horrific uh, crimes that Trump pardoned. As part of this, you know, I'm, you know, telling police officers to rough them up a little bit. You know, when you arrest somebody, maybe bang them into the the squad car before you get them in the back, and encouraging sort of lawless behavior. I do worry about Trump's appeal and encouragement of elements of our military, elements of our law enforcement. You know, both of which I was a member of. I, I don't. I think it appeals to their baser instincts in a way that is is really corrosive. And you know, you saw Chuck Rosenberg, who essentially resigned. He was at he was the administrator of the DEA, and you know, following Trump's statement about you know, go ahead and rough them up a little bit before you put him in the squad car. And Chuck took you know, wrote an all employee email, and I don't know what else, saying no, you know, we have we have one standard, we have the law. I expect you to uphold it, and and we behave in a professional way, in a lawful way, and ultimately quit rather than be part of that. So. I don't, again, the the impact of what Trump does. And it bothers me every time he seems to be going to campaign stops, inevitably on the way out of town, he'll sit in front of the Trump jet with all the police officers who care to join him. And I don't know that they all realize they're being used as a prop. One, because it's a campaign photo, it helps with fundraising, but it also sends a sort of tacit message to everybody. Hey, I've got the muscle behind me, right? I've got, look at all these... Look at all these law enforcement officers. They're behind Trump. They support Trump. Would anybody, would you ever see a photo like that with Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama? Doubt it. Highly doubt it. And yet, you know, Trump, you've got that stop after stop after stop.
0: Right. And the hypocrisy of it is so astounding to me because what we saw on January 6th was <laughs> this idea that they say they back the blue, right? And but they're beating the Capitol police officers, some of which I've gotten to know now, and obviously incredible people, beating them with their own shields. I mean, Fanon had a heart attack. The Sicknik died. I mean, the, the the hypocrisy of him standing there with police officers anywhere after sort of a sanctioned attack on you know the, their brothers in arms it, it just i don't understand and i still don't understand it and it, it's sort of echoes this thing with the military too from John McCain to the to the 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 win, widow that he attacked and disparaged to the gold star family to the suckers and losers comments and J- John Kelly recounting something he said at Arlington to the story in the um the Atlantic today um about the disabled veteran like i don't understand that either i don't understand where the disconnect is for for police officers Law enforcement and for military, where they he can be this overt person who's doing the opposite of what he says, and then they'll stand with him and, and support him. I don't, I just can't make sense of that. My brain doesn't understand it.
1: Yeah, it's frustrating for sure. I mean, I think there are a, a variety of things that go into it. I think sometimes a lot of those folks don't pay a lot of attention to the the details. And so they, oh, you know, Trump's a Republican candidate. I've always been a Republican. He's strong law and order, and they don't really think about it, or they don't know, or their buddies doing it. So they say, okay, well, you know, it's cool to meet any former president. He's got a plane. Mm-hmm. So they, and, and aren't thinking And I've often, you know, exactly what you said. I don't know how you would, my my question to any of those officers would be, okay, like, how do you, you back the blue, there is a, there is a code, right? As in, you know, as a former FBI agent, I'm part of that community. An FBI agent is very different from state or local police, but it's all one big community. And there is a code. And it's like, how do you, how do you support a guy who on January 6th, his followers beat the shit out of, you know, 120, 140 plus officers? How, what do you tell the Metropolitan Police Department? What do you tell the Capitol Police how do you, how do you support like standing there next to the guy with your thumbs up smiling? How, wh- what, 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 you know, not one, not 10, not 20, not 100, 100, and I, I don't know the exact number. I think it's in the 140s of officers who were injured and died because of January 6th. How do you support standing next to the man? I, I, I don't, I don't know how you, if that is asked, how you answer that. And I think some of it is, and it goes to the broader sort of base of support, It is Once you've bought into something, the power of denial is so extraordinarily strong, certainly when coupled with the shame and embarrassment of admitting that you've been suckered. And Mm -hmm. continually, the deeper you go down that path, the harder it is to own up to it. And the amount of, again, embarrassment and shame, of feeling dumb, of feeling stupid, of feeling duped, the more you are down that path, the harder and harder psychologically it is to sort of come around and so you'll buy into crazy theories that you know of chemtrails that are of, no. of people harvesting adrenochrome from children and you know right. basement pizza pie. I mean just f- crazy fucking stuff that should be clearly blatantly false but there's such personal buy in mm-hmm. and particularly when there's a divide of like he resonates with me because I'm not a coastal elite or an educated coastal elite and mm-hmm. you know if you're already concerned that well I've got a friction point about, you know, I I don't have that same level of whatever it is, education, cosmopolitan and cultural Mm -hmm. exposure, whatever. If you differentiate yourself that way and inherently there's a little bit of insecurity about whatever you don't have, it's the same thing, you know, I'm sure. But if that is part of what your identity association is with Trump to to sort of own that is hard. And I think, I don't know, I don't know. But I mean, it's not just in, you know, at the end of the day, the last, sort of took away thought on all this. I mean, Trump is harnessing something, right? I mean, he he caused it, but it is, he he didn't, it was there, right? Mm -hmm. I I shouldn't say he caused it. It was something that he was able to make form out of and harness the energy of, but that, whatever it is, that feeling of disenfranchisement, that latent racism, that sort of... (sighs) christian nationalism whatever all those different factors are that some of them really ugly Mm -hmm. weren't created by trump they were things that trump sort of took advantage of and is harnessed so i mean when that hamburger finally does the last one catch up with him (laughs) it's not like all this is going to disappear that's still stuff that we're going to have to face as a nation and it's not it's not pretty at all
0: no, and I foolishly used to think, because I've I've definitely been accused of being a little bit naive, and I used to think that once Trump, you know, was out of office, that sort of this movement would sort of evaporate, you know, that their, their leader was gone and removed of his power, and obviously that's not happened. In fact, the Republican Party has picked up the ball and started to run with it to the point where, I mean, this, it's really hard to squeeze out sort of a normal Republican anymore in the mix, um, and, and you're right, I, I mean... The thing that about him is that he exposed what was already here, but used to think that it sort of needed to stay in the shadows. And instead, um, what he did was he gave it life and legitimacy. And when you tell someone, because it's all about grievance, really, I think it's all about grievance, whatever that's based on, whether that's based on ethnicity or gender or race or something, anyone does anything different. There's this personal grievance. And he tapped into that because it was pre-existing and because they'd felt like they had to sort of like you know, stuff it down for so long. There's to have someone come along. I think of him as a black light on that hotel top comforter that like, you're not really supposed to sleep on or like use because everyone says they don't wash them. And so, you know, that they're covered in like bugs and all sorts of semen and shit. I'm sorry. I don't know if I want to say semen, but I said it because it's better than come. And now I said come, but anyway, so I digress, but like he's <laughs> things that quite quickly with me, but he's like a black light and this it was already here. So, but once you give life, to those things. And once they can, you know, they're like, wait a minute, hold on. I can say these things openly. And it actually means I can, I'm not woke. It means that I'm an independent thinker. And then it's really hard to put that toothpaste back in the tube. And he's coupled with that is the component of his constant encouragement of violence. And that violence is an expression, a right you have. I and mean, we saw it in California with a woman who wouldn't take down a pride flag, so just an ally. And she was shot in the head because someone had been inundated with this constant supply of like they them those people the others they're coming for insert whatever variable you want it's it's something fundamental to your life that you are need to be at war now and you need to use violence and those are all the tools we've seen throughout the history of time that authoritarians use in their playbooks to suppress the people and he's an idiot but he does have a certain charm for that sort of knack. He has a knack for that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's crazy and terrifying.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be really hard to de-escalate it. And I think particularly if he doesn't, I mean, if he's elected, God help us all. But if he's not elected... All these people who have been encouraged and told that their beliefs are legitimate that these horrific you know particularly the 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 whether it's sexist or anti-semitic or racist or whatever the whatever the inappropriate horrible grievance is that somehow he has told folks that that is a legitimate feeling it's not and it's not just the 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 authoritarian fascist aspects of it if you look at i mean we've got now what 20 20 plus years of fighting radical uh Islamic terrorism, and when you look at what radicalizes people, if you look at you know leaders like Anwar Al-Awlaki or even Osama bin Laden, the things that they were able to do to speak to followers, to encourage violence, to identify those things and radicalize people such that you know they would go from peace, kind, you know, mainstream Islam to find these tendencies and radicalize folks to the point where they're engaging in violence. It's the same thing. You have now faith leaders, you have political who are encouraging this really extreme behavior, telling people that it's okay to engage in violence by what? dehumanizing the opposition, by blaming everything and every wrong on the opposition, by saying that the opposition isn't just of a different of opinion, difference of opinion, but that they're evil and that they're bad. And it's the same. You look at what all, and not just Trump, but look at all, you know, the Marxist communists, mm-hmm. the horrible people who are destroying our co- country. It is all their fault. I am your retribution. <laughs> yeah. It's the same. If you look at the techniques that were used by the, the, the radical Islamists, to generate extremist action it's the same in many cases sort of behavior that's going on by Trump and other members of you know Trump supporters and it's It's going to have the same impact. And it is, you know, it already has, right? You had that, again, that that the the poor woman who was, you know, so audacious as to display a a pride flag, it goes to the people who are attacking an FBI field office, it goes to, you know, some woman out in Texas, right, who was apparently, you know, had a huge set of threats about coming to get Judge Chutkin in DC, it is happening already. And it's going to get worse, particularly because now people, I think, are feeling emboldened. Those people are extremists are thinking, OK, Trump is going to come back and he is going to bring us into whatever the promised land vision they have in their head. But if that doesn't happen, what then comes, I, I you know, have extraordinary worry about. I, I worry now a lot, but I really worry in November and December of 2024 going into 2025. Mm hmm.
0: I was hoping that there weren't enough of them left that he like, you know, exhausted his supply of crazies after most of them went to, not most, but a lot of them went to jail or are going to jail or got out of jail that maybe like there wasn't like an endless, you know, supply. They weren't like, you know, those recreating whatever they were in the. Star Trek, but uh that's that well, that's depressing,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, so good news, everybody, right? I, I and you look, I don't think we're gonna are we gonna see the same thing like we did on January 6 with the crowds of you know tens of thousands of people where you know 1,500, 2,000 of them stormed the Capitol. I don't think so, but I do think it's quite you know, look at the plot around trying to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, yeah. and they they convicted. And again, the, the fucking media, right? Well, they acquitted the last three. It's like, okay, well, how about you mentioned they convicted the first nine or you know, right. nine, of, nine yeah. of the first 11 or something? I mean, this was a criminal plot where people are in jail. And so y- y- that's the kind of thing I worry about. I don't necessarily worry about a massive mob descending on the courthouse in D.C. or the courthouse in Fulton County. I do worry about 10 or 20 knuckleheads in any given state deciding that they're shit lib. Governor slash Congressman slash Senator slash mm. Attorney, whoever it is that they have some grievance against, they have a local FBI office, whatever it is they feel is the oppressor, that Donald Trump, that they are part of his retribution. That's that's the sort of thing I worry about, and the problem, Joe, is, well, there are a lot of problems. One of the problems is just like with lone wolf terrorism on the Islamic terrorist, radical Islamic terror side. When you have these splinter groups, when you have lone wolves, when you have the stochastic, the sort of, you know, again, the fancy term for like <laughs> self-generated, self-motivated, self-created extremism, it's hard to investigate that and get ahead of as law enforcement agency. So whether you're the FBI, whether you're state and local police, if you have a big group that's kind of moving and coordinating, you can identify that. You can get investigations up effectively to look at it. But when you have sort of self-generating singletons or couple of few people like-minded it's really hard to get in front of that for something really bad happens and again that's the things i worry about that's one of them
0: yeah and you hope like the guy in nevada that they got recently the guy that ended up like getting killed because he he was an asshole decided to come to the door with a gun, but he was still an asshole. But you hope, yeah, but he put a lot of stuff on a social media account. And I think that was where they became aware of him. But not everybody does that to your point. And um, and I talked to a lot of former Republicans who have all told me because I have this a question that I've never been able to answer, which is that why do why are they afraid of Trump? And a lot of them have said they're literally afraid for their lives. And um, it's not that a mob's gonna come to their house, like you said, it's gonna be maybe just this one aggrieved person who thinks. That that's their, their Senator or whatever, you fill in the blank. It needs to die because that's, what's been explained to them as is what they deserve. And as a human being who just tweets, I tweet and talk and I have podcasts. That's what I do. I don't, I don't, I never run for anything. I, I would never run for anything. I've gotten death threats. I had someone call me the day Paul Pelosi was attacked and say, they were on their way to my house, describe the description of my house and told me that I was going to be Paul Pelosi next. And they told me they were on the way and they sounded like they were in a car and I've I've never had a death threat in my life and I just tweet and it's crazy to me that like this is the world that's been created where that's how hopped up these people are and that's how normalized the violence and the threats of violence and the retribution including violence has become but um yeah that's a good point to pivot on So just, and I want to end on a high note, because that's so depressing. Um, By the way, I've also never called the FBI until then. But I've now called the FBI several times in my life, which has always been fun. I even had a person posing as an FBI agent try to threaten me. So that was fun, too. But yeah, these are the, the very strangest times, aren't they? They really... It really is. Um, but I'm glad I get to talk to you, even though these are strange times that put you in a limelight you probably had never, ever wanted. I'm sure you never wanted. But still, it's a strange way the world works because here you are sharing your voice and your perspective. And and it's helpful, I believe, to democracy itself. So That's a good point to pivot on.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it's absolutely, it's critical because we've all got to... I mean, everybody has to lean into these coming elections and whether it's certainly voting, certainly getting everybody you know out to register and vote, but also getting involved in all the, you know, go work as a poll worker, notwithstanding all the, you know, God forbid you the next, you know, shame also Ruby Freeman yeah. that have the entire apparatus directed against you, but get involved in your school boards, get involved in local politics, because it's just, it's not just pushing a Democratic or Republican agenda, it's maintaining democracy and sanity versus... Just some truly crazy things that are going on. And I do, again, it's and coming from a career in law enforcement and in the FBI, to the extent that people are looking at Jack Smith, the way they looked at Robert Mueller, to the way they look in general that ODOJ and the criminal justice system is going to give us broad justice. It's not. It may, you know, it, it, it may give some criminal convictions. I'm certain it's probably going to give some criminal acquittals. But to the extent people are worried about things that they see that are morally wrong, that are morally unacceptable, that are inconsistent with democracy, DOJ and the criminal justice system is not going to solve that. That's only going to be solved through our participation. So, you know, my yeah. plea, my plea, and the reason I speak, and I'm sure the reason you do what you do as well is, you know, to to keep awareness and encourage action and awareness, because we are at a at a spot where we all have to be working hard because we're... You know, we're, we're closer to I think some to to horrible outcomes than most everybody believes or understands.
0: Yeah. And that's not a partisan issue. I I think that that that's the mistake a lot of people make and Republicans are certainly banking on it being a partisan issue. But at the end of the day, I believe that there are far more of us who want the stability and the normalcy of the sustaining democracy than all the chaos and craziness of whatever the alternative would be. So yeah, let's let's keep talking because they need to hear us. And um, on that note, let's switch gears because we have just a few more minutes uh, to my favorite part of uh, my conversations, which is my totally random question. Segment. Are you ready, Peter? Pete. (laughs) Pete. As,
1: as 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 close as I'm ever going to be. So, okay, so, yeah. these are not. they not. This yeah. is where the shame on me for not like doing my homework and listening to every you know speed round at the end. Of, like,
0: well, if I you listen know, to anything, you need to listen to. I asked Rick Wilson the same question as comedian Trey Crowder, and if you don't know Trey Crowder, you need uh, to Trey know. Crowder Trey, Trey is Crowder is
1: amazing. He's fantastic. I oh my god! That, oh I, I oh my god! Oh, I just knocked my
0: is. microphone. Yeah. So I asked them both the same same question. I thought they would both give me the most interesting answers, and they did because they were both very indicative of who they were. Rick's was. Okay, uh, either way, watch the ends of both of those if, if you have time, because I asked them how they would, how long they would survive in a zombie apocalypse, and their answers are very funny. But you are know, not getting that question, so there's, they're not hard. Okay, <laughs> and I promise you, this is not hard. It's really just like off the top of your head, what's your gut reaction, okay? Okay, I'm from Jersey, and we take our pizza very, 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 very seriously here. So my question to you is, is pineapple an appropriate topping for pizza?
1: Absolutely not. No, right. no, no. Okay, Phew. No New York style. I'm not not New Haven. Maybe not at all. Chicago deep dish. Sorry for, but no, uh, it is pineapple. No way. No. Happy. Okay, see, no. keep it away.
0: All right, good. I didn't do my research. I know you lived in Boston, but I don't know actually where you're from.
1: Uh, army, brat. I grew up all over the place. Okay. So my father retired from the army, and went in international development. So we truly moved around the world.
0: Okay, cool. So you don't have like a you don't have like a home base where it's like you have a food that like, you associate with home necessarily. No.
1: Okay.
0: Because nope. right. Boston doesn't even really have, I mean, clam chowder, I don't even know.
1: Because Yeah. But yeah, I, I went Boston to school. Boston is very, it's like, it's a. Like, you know, you got that heavy Irish influence with, yes, the, you know, the, true. the culinary reputation of, Irish <laughs> <greatness> of like <laughs> yeah. the potato, the potato and yeah. cods. And no, it's not. It's yeah. Not, uh, no.
0: I went to college in Boston and I they, there were a lot of steak tips in Guinness. So besides that, I don't remember much else. Um, fried dough. Um, okay. Okay. Was Van Halen better with David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? <laughs> David Lee Roth. Yeah, right. Like, who could even be Team Hager?
1: Again, Sammy. Sammy was great, but I mean, it was just you can't. It, it was. It was a thing of the moment and the time. And and David Lee Roth was that them at that moment in time. And you know, again, Sammy Hager, great, but it's yeah. David Lee Roth.
0: The hot for teacher. I mean, like to, to, that. I just you can't top that. Um, okay, there's four questions because I have a bonus question. This is the third question. Oh, uh, this might be a little more complicated. What was the worst fashion trend or like fad that you ever participated in maybe when you were a teenager or adolescent? Cuz I had the, like the big jersey hair with all the Aquanet hairspray and it was like bad.
1: Probably. That's a great question. Do you remember Jerbo jeans? They had like the little like on the fly, like in the front flap, they had their little um logo there, but they yeah, do, They have a tapered surprised. leg. Did you roll the tapered I, leg I, I, yes and right and <laughs> right and rolled it up and like yeah. yes 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 yeah. embarrassingly we called this you know, cabaret. so i was yeah. so goddamn awkward in high school i mean that was just socially a miserable point i mean you know it, it we all are a product of our upbringing but my my teen angst and social awkwardness uh was very real oh no
0: <laughs> mine too i mean i was called mushroom head until i was basically like 17 because i had a bob and i looked like i sort of looked like twiggy from Star, uh, buck rogers but they didn't call me that thank god because then i would never be able to look at twiggy the same again although i still think lindsey graham's hair looks like twiggy but my digress but anyway lots of segways there <laughs> where did you go to high school in europe or in the states uh
1: no uh minnesota oh, st okay. john's is uh yeah just northwest of minneapolis st paul Okay.
0: Hour, um, less. I've never been in Minnesota. It's on my bucket list. But okay, bonus question because we were talking about the Beastie Boys. Because I told you that this was going to be a conversation about the Beastie Boys and all the myriad of uses of mayo. Your favorite Beastie Boys song? Sabotage. That is your favorite song.
1: Yes. A very Even good song. especially because. The forty-fifth president of the United States accused me of doing a sabotage, a sabotage, like because it has a pronoun, a sabotage. It's like how you do a cool. This is now, this is now reinforced as my and 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 as you know, I've noted before, it's like also anthem. one of their greatest yeah. greatest videos to accompany the song.
0: Yes, no lie there. Although I will say Paul Revere still, since I I know all the words, I guess that's probably why I, that's my favorite song. But I sing it with my daughter every day on the way to school. So she's ten. So when you say the wiffle bat yeah, it's part, a, it's still. It's a,
1: starting her her out early
0: yeah Uh, well um what are you
1: there there is nothing by the age of 10 with the uh, internet and smartphone even if they don't have a smartphone access to the internet and their friends it's there you're going to protect against it
0: Ten year old girls are basically the equivalent to where I was at 17. Like she's got a skincare regimen. I'm I mean, I didn't have a skincare regimen until I was in my thirties. She's 10. Mom, I gotta do my skincare regimen. I'm gonna be late. I'm like, uh, what? Sorry, you're 10. She's like, I didn't do my mascara yet. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. They all of her friends had boyfriends in third grade. Like, what? No, like no, it's what? It's insane. It's uh,
1: insane. I don't know.
0: Well, okay, so on that note, um, okay, w- where do you want to direct people? You have a podcast,
1: you know? You yeah, that. no, so, so absolutely. I mean, I'm, I mean, decreasingly on Twitter and social media in general, I'm just fed up with Elon, and I don't mm. know, I think Twitter is in its death throes, but we'll see what yeah. happens. But if you want more, I'm co-hosting a podcast with Allison Gillum Muller. she wrote, and it's called Clean Up on I-45, and we track all the sort of ongoing criminal resolutions of everything surrounding Trump. So not just Trump, but everything going on in Fulton County, all of Rudy Giuliani's proceedings with Shane and Ruby Freeman, all the disbarment proceedings with John Eastman. But if there were bad, illegal, immoral activity coming out of Trump that is still being resolved through the justice system, uh, we talk about it. So tune in, it's free. It's, uh, you know, interesting. And again, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So uh, Every week. yeah.
0: And you're going to be
1: very busy. <laughs> be plenty yeah, of, plenty of stuff to talk about for, yeah. uh, for a while to come. So, Yes. Well, I'll be listening. Rudy's got to come. The judge said Rudy, you've got to show up for the uh for the sentencing phase of his uh, defamation lawsuit against Shamos and Ruby Freeman. So he's going to be in DC starting in early December, I think, for That's that trial.
0: Awesome. Will they will they be there because I want them to be able to face him? I, I, I hope so. That.
1: I don't I don't know if they're I don't know if the word, the wording was certainly that the parties, including Rudy had to be there. I, I don't know if it extends to them. I, it may, but, uh, I hope they do. I hope they have the ability to, to face him in court and, you know, we'll see where yeah. Rudy's money ends up, uh, drying up, but can't yeah. be much of it left.
0: I mean the that sort of just encapsulates everything that's been going on in this country, these two, like, volunteers d- into participating in democracy and this yeah. evil- Fucking horrible. Troll. I, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I hope-
1: Life's can... totally turned yeah. upside down with, yeah. with no deep pockets or, you know, basis support to protect themselves. Yeah. It's awful.
0: And death threats. Yeah. <laughs> But they're going to get their day. And justice, I believe, because Preparar put this thought in my head a long time ago, that justice does make its way around eventually. We just sometimes have to be patient. But I do believe that justice finds a way. And so um, thank you so much for this conversation.
1: Yeah, it's been
0: I'm it's really, been really glad to meet you face to face. But it's over a computer. But either way, yeah, um, this has been amazing. Um, We'll be definitely listening to your podcast, especially as these trials come down. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast. My guest today was Peter Strzok. Pete, Pete, Strzok. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, have a great day. And everybody else, will see you next Saturday.
1: Are You Effing Kidding Me is a production of the Political Voices Network. Please visit us at politicalvoicesnetwork.com.